0: In a world of uncertainty, one thing is for sure. Cancer doesn't stop during a global crisis. On Saturday, June 13th, the Leukemia Lymphoma Society, LLOS, will host a trailblazing event, Big Virtual Climb, sponsored by AbbVie, to support their investment in groundbreaking research to advance blood cancer cures and its first-in-class patient education and services, including financial support and clinical trial navigation. Step up to take cancer down by climbing 61 floors or 1,762 steps, inside or outside, on stairs, on the road, or your treadmill. Climb your way. Join us on June 13th from coast to coast as we come together to climb, conquer, cure. Register at lls.org slash climb. High in the air.
1: You're listening to Bags and Brisby on Athletic Podcast Network.
0: Welcome to Episode 71 of the Bags and Brisby Podcast. I am Grant Brisby. I'm here with Andy Baggerly. And we have another special guest. We're going to go around the NL West. And we've got uh, Nick Groke. And I realize I've never said your name out loud. I, it's not like Groke or Grosh or like... I, I'm pronouncing it correct?
1: <laughs> Groke would... Add some flair. I might need that. It's, it's groke, but I'm going to change it right now.
0: Oh, that's just one of those moments where like, I realize like, I know how it's pronounced. I've, I've heard it pronounced on, on podcasts, but I just like,
2: what if I screw this up? How embarrassing would that be? Um, Nick's got that. a box of a 1,000 uh, business cards, and he's going to be putting diacritical marks on the E's of every one of them for the next hour and a half.
0: I would go with the umlaut over the O.
2: Which, oh, What would that be? Would that be groke? I don't know. I'm not. I, I'm not. Uh, I'm not down with my Scandinavian pronunciations. I, I do like the umlaut. Oh. Um, I always like. I always liked the uh, the little sea uh, thing under the sea in French. And I always thought Mark Melanson should have one of those because oh, yeah. I thought it was Melancon before he became a giant, and <laughs> and he uh, sounded like a, a like a, like a Star Trek alien, Melancon. But um, but no, it's Melanson. It's a soft C. He should have the little uh, garçon thing underneath the sea. I could see Melanson being like one of those
0: ones that like goes totally shisevsky and it's like Michon or something like that. Like it's just you're missing letters, you're adding letters. I don't know. Nick, this is what we do. We talk about stuff like this and (laughs) ignore the topic at hand, which is the Rockies.
1: On on behalf of all baseball writers, I'm going to vote against the the C thing because I don't know how to make that character on my keyboard. So can we just, (laughs) can we not
0: go there? You know, I just, uh, I, my MacBook, the motherboard was fried, and I had to use a, a PC Windows-based computer uh, for a week, and it's the worst thing in the world, specifically because of the accents. Uh, on a Mac, you just hold down the button, and it pops up. Like, I'm going to hold down that C, and looky there, it's it's right there. Uh, on a PC, you have to, like, open up the character map, You maybe you, you got to hit some special keys. It's it's a nightmare, so Mac Mac for life over here.
2: I never realized you could do that. I just did it. That was got liberating. It. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Wow. You got it. especially One, two, when three you know, gives you options. Yeah,
0: it's easy as heck. So I just I taught you something, Andy. All right. Well, we our our topic today is actually the Rockies. Nick is the beat writer for the Athletic for the Colorado Rockies, and we're going to talk all things Rockies. And you know, I actually have uh, not. Let's see. What's the right word? It's not an affinity. It's not a, a level of expertise. But I wrote the chapter in Baseball Perspectives, uh, the ba- the BP annual on the Rockies. And my contention is that they have the hardest job in baseball. They have to figure out baseball, which is hard. And then they have to figure out baseball at altitude, which is like exponentially hard. Is Am I way off base? Am I reading too much into this? Or is that sort of the feeling from your side of the table as well?
1: Yeah, no, they definitely have it's not so much that they have a disadvantage because every team has something that they have to deal with, but theirs is wholly unique. So it's not like they can draw on on any other on the experience of any other team or very much history. I mean they're only twenty seven years old, twenty eight years old. You know, in the grand scheme of things, almost a little bit less than three decades is not that much time. And, you know, when they look back at how they've had to handle it over the years, the humor didn't come into play until 2001. So, you know, then now we're only talking about 18 years, 19 years, and they've tried a bunch of different things to make it work with Coors Field and nothing has really exactly worked. Their current mindset is to just sort of they take it as a as a something that they have to deal with, but then they kind of ignore it, sort of psychologically, mm-hmm. uh, which is not the worst way to go about it because it became a boogie monster over the years, especially for their pitchers, and it got into their heads. So now they're you know, they kind of trying to drill it into their, once you're drafted into the farm, like immediately you're going to deal with Coors Field it's not a thing, don't worry about it. Of course they do still worry about it because it's brutal but um, the real hard part the thing that took them a long time to reckon with was how much it hurts their offense to have to play at Coors Field and they're they're really, you know maybe it's weird to say but they're only really now figuring this out and they're still kind of in the research and development the trial stage of how how to make it work. Because when you go from Denver to San Francisco it's brutal they can only hope for a four game series in San Francisco so that they can maybe figure it out by the fourth game if they win the first game in a series when San Francisco is their first road series after leaving Denver it's basically a miracle it's a minor miracle that's the biggest swing that they have from Denver to going onto on the road is from Denver to San Francisco. It's brutal. They are completely lost almost every time they go there.
0: When Giants fans are watching the Giants go into Coors Field, there's this sense of dread. It's kind of like, oh, you know, and it's, what, Yeah, nine games a year, ten games a year in Coors Field, and it just feels like, oh, okay, here we go again. So I'm picking up that it's sort of reciprocal. Like, when you come to San Francisco, the fans are going, Oh, come on. This place. Is it like that for the whole road trip, or is it just San Francisco? Does it have like a special place in the House of Horrors?
1: Oh, it definitely has a special place. It's the most difficult spot for them. It might not necessarily be their worst road record over the years, but it's the hardest place for them to play. Charlie Blackman explained this very well. You can get away with stuff a little bit at Coors Field. Coors Field allows you to be a little bit more aggressive, because if you swing at a bad pitch at Coors Field, and maybe you get some soft contact, maybe you like... Flare one into the shallow outfield. Well, like at almost every other park, that's an out. At Coors Field, that's a single. So you're sort of rewarded for bad swings often at Coors Field. Even if you're not thinking about it, it encourages you to be more aggressive. Well, when you go on the road and then your zone, your strike zone basically shrinks and the pitches that you see out of a pitcher's hand, the way Charlie Blackman puts it is you can't trust what you see out of a pitcher's hand when they go on the road. All of a sudden, they've just completely lost the plate. You know, they're figuring out that their gains at Coors Field, you know, their averages definitely go up when they hit at Coors Field, but the gains that Coors Field gives them are taken away even more so when they go on the road. And it takes them like a game or two, sometimes three games to adjust. So if it's a short road trip, they're kind of screwed. It's one reason why they always try to start the season on the road. Fans will see, hey, this team's not bad. They can actually play on the road. And then they, <laughs> you know, then after they come home and then go back out, then they're screwed again. So it is a legitimate difficulty. It shouldn't be an excuse, though, at the same time. I mean, they should be better at this, but it's a real and unique difficulty that they face.
2: I mean, another good reason to start on the road is because, I mean, that they could be renting the snow plow out to, uh, to um, I don't know, uh, uh, Boulder <laughs> that weekend, and and, and then uh, no one can clear the field. Um, but, uh, yeah, it, it is crazy, though. I, I think of all those sort of tough losses the Giants have taken at Coors Field, I mean, some of the most just crippling losses like the Ryan Spielborgs game or uh, Nolan Arenado hitting a walk-off, you know, inside the park home run. Who does that, you know? Um, <laughs> Grant is going to excuse himself. He's going to mute me. Um, but, uh, but when you think they, about they all the... Been,
1: they, uh, part of it, they have been showing a lot of old games, obviously, during the shutdown here. yeah, And, like, it seems like a good... Like two thirds of them are against the Giants. They're <laughs> right, all highlight right. games, obviously. <laughs> but, but for whatever reason, all the all of their their biggest moments at Coors Field <laughs> are a lot of them seem to come against the Giants. Yeah, you know, yeah. I, I know
0: that that Ryan Spilbor's gets uh, a lot of the Giants uh, are, Giants fans are, and that's a memorable one. But for me, the the worst loss I think in, in Coors Field history was nineteen ninety eight it's the final day of the season the the Giants win they don't have to go to Chicago to play game 163 and uh Perez hit a home run uh a home run he had a triple and then a home run off Robnan and um that's all I'll say about I'll let you go on with your question Andy but I want to just single that game out as the single worst Coors Field game I've ever watched
2: that was, uh, yeah, and then they backed into that wild card playoff game, and then they played who? I forget who they played in the wild card mm. playoff game that year. Who was it again? Yeah, you got me on that one. Oh, it was Steve Traxel, and he's still holding the ball. He's he he just he just made another pickoff throw to first <laughs> base. Steve, it was in 1998. You can go home now.
0: Uh, I'm a normal brain. And I still think about the, the O2 pits that Mark Gardner threw to Gary Gaetti. but I'm normal. You know, that's what most people are thinking about in 2020. Andy, keep know, going through the you question. Know. I'm sorry.
2: <laughs> no, you're not. Um, so, but uh, you think about all the crippling losses, the giants have taken a course field. And you sort of, I think back to like, what are all the crippling losses? The Rockies took in San Francisco. And you don't really notice them as much because it's just like air going out of the balloon. It's, it's, they got you know four hits in a in a in a five to one loss and and those just sort of pile up and pile up and I mean yeah I, I think we've we've all thought for so long about the challenges um, like you were saying Nick about the the pitchers competing at cores. and it really seemed like there was a good pattern they were falling into getting sinkerball guys the Aaron Cooks of the world and now those guys are getting crushed by the launch angle re- revolution but but really I what what seems to be the biggest puzzle is getting their hitters to be able to adjust to, to compete well on the road. I mean, I, I, I do the MVP thing, you know, whenever I have the ballot, and I think, okay, Charlie Blackman's going to be a top five guy. Then I see his road OPS, and I'm like, oh, my gosh, he may not even make my top ten. Um, and it's just uh, it's kind of bizarre how how that's played out. But what, what I wanted to ask you about is this was an interesting spring before everything went crazy, Um because the Rockies franchise player was not getting along so well with, oh, everyone else in the organization. And I, I, it really was going to be fascinating to see how that was going to play out. Um, what was your take on Nolan Arenado? Did you think that there was a chance that he was going to get traded? And what do you think his future is going to be uh, sort of long-term in Colorado? Yeah, it's funny. The uh, Well, it's not funny.
1: Uh, for Rocky fans, it's, it's ex- excessively depressing. But... Um... I don't know if he really was in a Cold War really with anybody on the team except the general manager, Jeff Breidich. It turned out you always have to wonder where an owner comes into play. The owner of the Rockies, his name is Dick Monfort. It turned out that, like, I think no one is fine with Monfort, if anything, would like him to sort of intervene a little bit in the situation. But it really was a was a direct spat between – Nolan Arnado and the general manager, which is wild because you know, if your job is to build a roster, you you might not want to push away your best player, especially when he he's already under contract, but Jeff Ridich gave Nolan Arenado the ability to opt out of his contract. It's a player only option. It's it's wild. It's almost never happens with big contracts like that where the player has all of the power to leave the team but he does and then one year less than one year after you sign him to a big deal you you then alienate him it's it doesn't seem like the the greatest course of action but once it all unfurled like that and became and just spilled out into the open and no one was not shy about talking about how much he dislikes his general manager. Well, at that point, yeah, like a, an actual trade is legitimately, po- was legitimately possible. The only problem with it is that Jeff Wright has made fewer trades than any general manager in, during his tenure. He's been, this is his sixth year as GM of the, of the Rockies. He's made fewer trades than any other general manager. So he doesn't have a, a track record of making trades work, either by choice or um, because he's not good at it, one or the other. Maybe both, but a Nolan Arenado trade would be a big undertaking. It would not be easy. There are a lot of contractual issues because he has an opt-out. You have to somehow work around that. His contract takes him into his 30s. It's expensive. I mean, there are a lot of issues with Arnato trade, but as it became more and more likely that he would probably not really want to be with this team through the course of his contract, then a trade really did seem possible or probably advisable at this point. And, but now that it's shoved to the background, and I, I think really, though, all of where we're at now, even though we're not talking about Nolan Arnato exactly, I mean, I guess we are right now, but uh, it just is increasing the likelihood that he's going to want to leave, which if they know this, and they should know this, then yeah, they should, be, they should be trying to gain what they can for him before he just leaves on his, own, on his own free will. So it was possible, it's still possible, and if anything, it's more likely now, even than three months ago, if I had to guess.
0: Let's pause to tell you about Hawthorne. Smelling good is important. Hawthorne smells really good. Getting Hawthorne cologne is so easy. Here's how it works. Take a quick two-minute quiz and Hawthorne tells you the two colognes that are best for you. One for work and one for play. Totally risk-free with free shipping and free returns. Check out Hawthorne at hawthorne.co. That's Hawthorne with an E and .co. Not .com. Hawthorne.co. And use promo code ATHLETIC to get 10% off your first purchase. That's Hawthorne.co. And use promo code Athletic to get ten percent off your first purchase,
2: Hawthorne.co. I'm kinda of thinking about this and, and he's he's got what two hundred something million guaranteed to him? What team is gonna to want to take on a contract of that size with you know basically everyone's revenues being completely obliterated? I mean it's it, it it's kinda of fascinating where they might find themselves. All of a sudden the market may be softer for a player with that kind of guarantee that's that's just sort of how i'm going over this in my head the other thing i'm wondering is how jeff british still has a job but you know i'm, I'm not gonna ask you to comment on that um but uh i mean yeah i, I saw when 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 he uh, a while back was criticizing the beat writers for never having led anything in their life and that's why he doesn't listen to their criticism dan Semborski uh had a great comeback um he basically said um all of your transactions basically he calculated it up, and it was two the Rockies are spending two hundred and forty million per war in free agency <laughs> so yeah that's that's not so good. He says it makes Battlefield Earth and Pluto Nash look like investment triumphs by comparison so
1: well you know one one thing that he you know when he was criticizing writers, I think he made some kind of comments about uh you know i wouldn't question you know if if i if if I was a brain surgeon, you wouldn't be questioning what I did actually. Like, if somebody cut into my head and screwed it up, I'd, I'd probably want to ask a lot of questions. Like, what, you know, where did my frontal lobe go? I would want to know that. Um, so I, the, the analogies were not, were not real, did not work real well. But not to cut you off too much, but if they luck into keeping Nolan long-term, I don't know if that's even necessarily better because they just very clearly don't like each other. I mean, it's just bad. It's just a bad situation all around. And I know like relationships can be mended, sure, but like to what cost? Uh, you know, you know, at what point do other players look at this and be like, well, man, if Nolan can't even get along with the guy who gave him two hundred something million dollars, two hundred sixty-five million dollars, then like maybe I should think about, you know, before my arbitration comes up, maybe I should be thinking about it. Like, you know, the the long-term damage here, I think we're still going we're still finding out about the Rockies.
0: I have sort of, maybe not an analogy, but a question as to how it's perceived that Todd Helton was a a lifelong Rocky, even though the last, I'd say, four seasons he was with the Rockies. Not so great. I mean, he had a... looks like his OPS Plus was below 100. He was making millions of dollars. But is there... Like, can you feel a sense of, yeah, but we're glad he was around. That's Todd Helton. He never played for another team. I think that rules. Do you get a sense that that's a real thing? Or is that something that's easy to make a lot of, but while it's going on, you're not so concerned about it?
1: You mean with fans? Like, did it matter with fans? I think it mattered with fans
0: quite a bit. Like, they really like to say that
1: Todd Helton was a Rockies player. Uh, he's the only number that they've retired.
0: So like uh, that would, you know, the analogy I'm trying to make is with Arenado. Like, is it a, that important, you know, in the overall scheme of things, when you're looking back 10 years after, say, Arenado retires, how important is it to look back and go, hell yeah, I never played for another team?
1: Yeah, no, the opposite. So he played with Todd Helton. Uh, they overlapped quite a bit. And he saw those end years. He saw like, mm. he saw that, 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 Hilton went to the playoffs twice in his entire career. Uh, they they made the World Series once. Uh, they only really because they caught lightning in a bottle. Uh, he saw him toil on a franchise that that like did not necessarily help him that much. Uh, they gave they paid him, and then kind of didn't let, you know didn't follow through to make the team a lasting success. And I think he really like the the lesson that he learned from Todd Helton was that it's not worth, it's not your, your loyalty is not always going to be reciprocated. Like he mm. saw, he saw that Todd Helton had to play out his career on really bad baseball teams and he's not interested in that. So that's, you know, when, and he's made this very clear, you know, you can, <laughs> sometimes players say that money doesn't matter and you can kind of shrug it off a little bit, but I mean he's going to be paid one way or the other. If it, if he ta- if he ends up taking a pay cut uh to go to an, another team, to be totally honest, um unless his agent just like ties him to a chair and says no, I think he would be willing to do that and uh, let, you know especially if He's looking at the the future of the Rockies and being like, well, you guys can pay me, and you're not going to pay anybody else, so I'm just going to be on a bad baseball team for the rest of my career. Like, why why bother at that point? Uh, it's just he he is he is seeing you know in his career, Arenado. They've been to the playoffs twice. So they've won one playoff game. It was a wild card game, um, and then they the the momentum that they had from those two seasons was completely lost. Then last season and the and the and his boss's response to that was to do nothing in the off season. I think it, there's a the frustration right now for him is more valuable than the, the money that he's earning if that makes if that makes any sense.
0: That does make sense and you know when you're bringing up that that Helton finished his career on bad Rockies teams, I clicked on one of them, the 2012 Rockies and I just it hit me like a punch to the stomach where I, I scroll down and there's Jamie Moyer, a 49-year-old Jamie Moyer and what I'm thinking about pick, pitchers who might succeed in Coors Field, I'm not sure if a 49-year-old Jamie Moyer is at the top of that list, but I don't know, maybe that's just me.
1: Yeah, and he's, and he's had to, and then Nolan in turn has had to, you know, there were seasons when he looked at their pitching rotation and it was, I mean, it's ridiculous. They had Kyle Kendrick on the back end of his career. They had Johan Flande starting again. <laughs> they, Johan Flande, I think, started multiple games, Against Madison Bumgarner, that's ridiculous. Like I know you, you have to throw some bad pictures every now and then, but if you're looking at your roster and you see and you see that those are your matchups, especially within your own division. And Nolan not oh, he's from Southern California. He's seen how many times the Dodgers have won the division. It's like, man, what why am I what am I doing here? I mean, I I, to, I, I totally understand where he might get frustrated by this, especially over the long term.
0: Now that that kind of leads into the point when when the Rockies have had a successful team Almost invariably, it has to do with their homegrown starting pitching. Like, if there is such a thing as a winning Rockies formula, that would appear to be it. In 2007, you had uh, Jeff Francis, Ubaldo Jimenez, uh, Aaron Cook. And, uh, you know, now if you're if you're thinking about a, a good, successful Rockies team, you're talking about uh, Jeff Hoffman, John Gray, not entirely homegrown, but Kyle Freeland, like, you know, coming up through the system a little bit. Does that track? Is, does it seem like if there is a formula— it's going to be develop your own pitchers?
1: Yeah, no, exactly. And this this is their this is their number one priority overall. Uh, of course, it's easier said than done. They've done it <laughs> they basically done it twice in their history. The 07 rotation was definitely not bad. They were they were a little bit mistimed. Ubaldo was still really young at that point. Um, Ubaldo Jimenez. The first time that they've ever had like basically a lasting homegrown rotation is right now with Hermann Marquez, John Grey, Kyle Freeland, the 3 of them basically. That's a pretty good anchor for a rotation. But the problem is, it is so easy to unravel uh, when you pitch half your games at Coors Field, and that's what happened last year. They completely lost it. And because they have no depth in the rotation, then it's gone. It's lost. Then they're 20 games below 500. And I think, again, when we, when you look at how especially position players look at this it's like well yeah awesome you built this rotation they really did get them to the playoffs twice in a year those Rockies teams they were bad offenses Uh, Mm -hmm. it's weird to say but they actually pitched their way into the playoffs well but then they got to last year and they did nothing to then build on it so then they ended up 20 games below 500 and then they came into this year just sort of hoping that everybody bounces back that's a lot of bounce backs to rely on. And uh, I I think this is where the shyness or, you know, whatever it is with the Rockies not wanting to, they, they never want to spin forward. They always, you know, you can rely on, on your own philosophies and it's good to have a philosophy, have a center that you, that you work your team around. But at some point you have to take a risk at some point, you have to get aggressive in roster construction or Otherwise, you're playing, you're basically playing for one playoff appearance every five years, and then you're just going to turn over your own guy and go to free agency. That's depressing to think about. Like, what kind of team are you even watching at that point? Like, sure, you get to know your own guys, but none of them want to stay. That's a bummer way to build a baseball team.
2: Yeah, and it's it's even harder when you've got basically a juggernaut that's developing and keeping the top spinning and has all the resources in the world in your division. Um, I mean, the, the Giants certainly took advantage of uh, the Dodgers uh, at a period where they were a little bit softer and, and going through an ownership transition, and Frank McCourt basically, you know, bankrupted them but uh, um, yeah it's, it's 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 a lot more daunting when you've got that team in front of you um, that you're always staring up at in the standings but uh, what what we've talked about um, on a couple of recent podcasts grant and myself is looking at this season if it does go off and it's about 80 games, and it's a smaller sample and there could be a little more um, noise statistically or some weirdness could happen. And we sort of kicked around. Is it possible the Giants could actually make a run at this thing with with a little more you know, margin for weirdness? And I mean, the Rockies playing half their games at Coors Field, obviously, there's a, probably even more of a... Um, uh, maybe potential for for noise and weirdness uh, based on what you saw from the team this spring before everything uh, uh, everyone went their separate ways um, and, and based on a, a smaller season, do you think the Rockies uh, could could be a factor? Uh, yeah, uh,
1: definitely for a couple of reasons. This the length of the schedule certainly helps teams that are not as ta- <laughs> who are not as talented. I think everybody basically everybody in the NL West is assisted except for the Dodgers. You know that doesn't mean that they're The Dodgers are necessarily at a disadvantage, but it evens out. If you're playing fewer games, it evens out the opportunity. It gives lesser teams an opportunity to make a run and then finish before they have to come back to earth. The DH is a really interesting idea as far as the Rockies this season. I've gone back and forth on this. I think like, if we're talking about 10 years of full seasons, I suspect my working theory is the Rockies would be hurt by a DH more than they would be helped. Um, that's just a guess. It's a difficult thing to game out now, Bud black, the manager thinks that this year it puts them at a disadvantage because no NL teams have built their rosters around a DH, at least in the intentional way that AL teams have. And I get where he's coming from, but for the Rockies, I think they can hide a lot of their problems with the DH to honest. They have like a first baseman who can hit really well in Daniel Murphy, but he can't play first base. So like getting him off of the field is, is kind of a nice bonus. Uh, and they can do that with Charlie Blackman a little bit, too, in right field. I think they can kind of, like, fill in, put some putty into the into a lot of their deficiencies this season. I think, if anything, a shortened season with a DH, larger rosters, I think all of these things, if they're going to have more pitchers to deal with, this is a huge advantage for them. Or not not necessarily an advantage compared to other teams, but it, like, it really helped them with their very specific issues. Like, yeah, this is a good season. For the Rockies, it's really just a matter of catching fire. I mean, not to not to be vague about it, but you have to catch fire and just and ride it as long as you can. But all of the teams in the West, I think, should be glad for, for this altered season uh, against the dog, except for the Dodgers, basically.
2: All
0: right. Well, this has been episode 71 of the Bags and Brisbee podcast. Uh, we did we neglected to mention this is the Tyler Rogers episode, number 71. Tyler Rogers and Pat Mish, the only 71s in Giants history. Okay. This has been episode 71. Thank you so much for listening. Thanks to Nick Groke. Uh, or, oh, man, I meant to say, like, well, Uh Thanks to Nick Wachaw for joining us uh, and giving us thoughts on the Rockies. Uh Good stuff. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you on Thursday.